All right. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. A um, couple things here this morning. One is uh, I started, or I used Joseph as an example in my sermon last week about uh, uh, willful disobedience and, and what that means. And so anyways, and, and our, our scripture come out of the book of James, but, but, I, but as I went through and I give some examples, I used Joseph as one of the examples and just hit on a little bit of his life when he was in Egypt. Um, the Lord's kind of dealt with me that I need to spend a little more time with Joseph and preaching about Joseph. So I want to come back to Joseph this morning anyways, and, and we'll see where the Lord goes tonight, but for this morning, and I, so I want to look at Genesis chapter 37, uh, that's kind of where this part starts uh, here in Genesis. Um, I've, really, I've really struggled with how many scriptures to read here uh, publicly in your hearing this morning, and uh, honestly, um, you know, they tell you that you can't read more than three to six scriptures, verses, you know, maybe eight or nine if they're short verses, because you lose people's attention after that. That very reason is the reason why you will see preachers who will read one verse or two, skip halfway down the chapter and read another verse or two, you know, that's the reason you see that technique used, and, and I've done it lots of times too, um, because... Uh, they want to read the whole chapter, but know that they, you know, probably can't read the whole chapter without losing people's attention. And uh, the one side of me says, I just need to read the first five, ver five verses and just tell you about the rest. The other side of me says that, my goodness, what does that say for us if we can't focus on God's Word any longer than four or five verses, all right? So I'm going to read to you more than that. I know that we live in a day and time that trains us to have a short attention span. Think about everything, right? Everything, right, in our daily life from that device, a lot of it's that device that you carry probably in your pocket uh, that you use all the time. But it trains us to have very short attention spans. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that you would try to, to stay with me here, read along with me, whatever works best for you. But let's read the bulk of chapter 37 here, okay? Because the most important thing that's going to go forward this morning is God's Word, right? The most important thing that is said is not the 30 minutes I spend talking. It's whatever time we spend reading the Word of God. It's God's Word that matters. It's God's Word that changes lives. It's God's Word uh, that, that, sets the, that sets you free, right, from the bondages of sin. It's not my words. It's God's words that matter. So let's look here at Genesis chapter 37. The first verse says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpha, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. 
And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it uh, his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we are uh, by... Excuse me. For behold, verse 7, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood, uh, stood round about and made obe- obeisance to my sheaf. In other words, bowed to his sheep. Verse 8, And his brethren said uh, to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou uh, indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told uh, his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee through the earth? And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the same. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here I am, or here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him. And behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, They conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it 
if we slay our brother and conceal his blood. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he ran his clothes, and he, ran, uh, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know not whether it be thy son's coat or no? And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast devoured him. Joseph, was without, uh, Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you poured out on us, the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to gather here without fear of persecution or anything like that. It's a blessing. It's a gift from you that so many in this world don't have. Lord, let us not take that for granted. Let us not take that lightly. Let us always recognize what a privilege it is and a blessing to be able to gather like we are here this morning. And I pray here this morning, Lord, that each one of us have come here with a heart seeking you, desiring to hear from you this morning. And Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, that you would, you would honor that. Lord, I'm asking that you would move in our midst here in a mighty way. God, that you would stir our hearts. God, that you'd lift us up. God, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you'd draw us near to you. Lord, if there's anything in our hearts or our lives that doesn't please you, that doesn't bring you glory, God, I'm asking that you'd convict us of it. God, I'm asking that you wouldn't give us any peace until we repent and get things right between us and you. Because that's the most important thing, is our walk with you, our relationship with you. Everything else hinges on that. It revolves around that. So, Lord, I'm asking, have your way and your will in this service this morning. Do what only you can do, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And, Lord, I feel inadequate. I don't feel prepared enough. I don't feel like I've got the, the vocabulary, the words to say. I just don't feel like I'm the person, but yet you've called me, and you've sent me. So here am I. So, Lord, I'm asking that you clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. 
place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning. Lord, let it... Lord, I want it to come from my spirit to theirs, but I want them to know that it comes from you and that I'm just the messenger, that it just goes through me. So I'm just asking here this morning, preach me one more time here this morning, and I'll give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking for an outpouring of your spirit. I'm asking for your holy unction. I'm asking, Lord, if there's any here that, that know you, that today is the day. God, I'm asking that your will would be done here this morning. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We're going to be sure and give you every bit of the glory because you alone deserve it. And we ask it all here this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to call your attention back to the first part of chapter 37 for just a minute. Um, the, verse 2, the first sentence in verse 2 tells us these are the generations of Jacob. The second sentence is to begin another paragraph, a new paragraph, and it says that Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad, okay, so it's referring to this 17-year-old boy as a lad. This lad was with the sons of Beliah, or Bilhah, however you say her name. I'm glad she's not my wife. Uh, and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wife. Now, remember who these two women are. They're two concubines of Jacob. Jacob has four wives, or two full-fledged wives and two concubines. That's a lower-class wife, okay? I'll give you background on them here in just a minute. So he's with some of his half-brothers, okay, from these two wives. They're out taking care of their father's flock, and Joseph is out there with them. And it says in the last half of the sentence, after the uh, colon in verse 2, And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Doesn't say what these, his brothers were doing, what these boys were doing. Maybe they were just up to the typical things that boys do. Maybe they were roughhousing. Maybe they were just messing around. Joseph was a little tattletale and come back and told daddy what they were doing. They weren't really watching the sheep like they should have been. They were playing instead. You know, maybe it was like that. Then again, you got to look here. If Joseph's 17 and he's the, he's the youngest of all of these boys that's out there right now, then these guys are more like what we would consider men. And maybe they weren't the best of men. Maybe they were doing things that they hadn't ought to have been doing. You know what I'm saying? And so maybe it was some things that we would call evil or wicked. We really, we just don't really know because the scripture doesn't tell us. But anyways, he comes back and he tells this father what has been going on. And of course, that would make his brothers like him all that much more, right? No, no, it doesn't. Verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all the children. That's the first thing. That's my parental advice to you. That's what you should do as a parent is make sure you have a favorite child and all the other children know that, that that is your favorite child, right? That's going to make things, that's going to help their relationship a lot, isn't it? 
No, of course not. That's terrible. I would never use Jacob as an example of a good father. I would never use the King David as an example of a good father either, right? We've got them here. That's one of the things that is unique with the Bible from all other uh, books that are used by all other religions, right? Is, is All of those have been edited over time. They've been whitewashed over time, right? They have been... This, we don't have that with the Scripture at all. Look, we've got the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We've got it warts and all here, okay? And we've got a king, David, who is a king, after God's own heart. Here we've got some examples of him just being a pretty terrible person and a pretty terrible parent also, right? This is the one who Christ is a descendant of, the one whose throne God has established forever, right? That Christ is coming back to set and reign upon, right? This is one of the, you know, one of the central characters in all of Scripture, right? One that God has singled out and chosen. Lord allows me, I may preach on him a little later tonight or next week or sometime. But anyways, that is one of the unique things about Scripture, as I said a minute ago. We have it all. Worse than all. So we have Jacob favoring Joseph. Uh, Let me continue reading these scriptures I want to draw your attention to, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren... They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Man, he just keeps piling it on. So let's, let, let's look at this, and let's talk about this for just a minute. Uh, one thing that I wanted you to notice in those first few verses is it's clear and it's obvious. It's clear and obvious to everybody then, and it's written plainly so that it's obvious to us that Jacob had a favorite son, and it was Joseph, okay? Um, I want you to recognize that coat of many colors. That is a special garment. And, you know, later on in the story, they see him, his brothers see him from a long ways off. The reason they recognize him from so far off is that coat that he was wearing. It stood out. It didn't blend into the crowd. It was different. Now, here's the one thing that you need to know and you need to understand about that coat when you see that coat or you read that coat or whatever. That coat was a physical symbol of Jacob's favoritism of Joseph. The rest, none of his other children had a coat like that. But he's made that special coat for Joseph. And Joseph wore the thing, obviously, all the time. Right? And every time his brethren saw it, it's a reminder that he's dad's favorite. Now, let's talk about why Joseph was Jacob's favorite. Now, and I'm not going to be able to give you a concrete answer on why. And all of us are going to be thinking about the psychology of of why he picked this child, you know. And and all I can do is maybe give you some thoughts and give you some clues, explain a little bit about the culture of that day and time. The culture of that day and time, if there's anybody that's favored, it would be the firstborn son. 
Okay, the firstborn son is the one that is looked to carry on the family name, to carry on the family. The firstborn son received a double portion of the inheritance. We see that all through the scripture. And that wasn't just uh, with the Israelites that was common. That was a common practice in that part of the world in that day and time. That's just how it, that's how it was. The firstborn son was the, was the natural one to take the position of the father when the father either become physically unable to be, you know, health and permitting to be held at head of the household really anymore, or more likely when he passed away and passed on, right? The firstborn son, he received the double portion. He's the one that's the head of the family, leading the family. The culture is nothing like it is today. Today, our children grow up, they get married, and they move off, and they start their own families. They buy their own houses, and, you know, and sometimes they go to completely different states or parts of the country, or even different countries. They scatter out. I mean, that's, that's what is most common. It's really, you know, they might stay in the same community, uh, but they don't, you know, it's rare for them to stay right there in the same house or anything like that. But see, in that day and time, it was different, right? They would marry, the sons would marry and bring the daughters that they married back home, and the family complex would just get bigger, right? And so there is still a head of that family and of that household, right? And it's dad until dad passes away. And then it's usually the firstborn son. That's the natural order. It, dad is grooming the firstborn son to take his spot, his position, right? The firstborn son is special, right? That's why God, that's why God talks about Jesus. Jesus being his only begotten son, right? That word begotten is kind of giving us that same kind of idea and feeling there. And so anyways, as we go on and we look at this, right? Reuben is the oldest son. Reuben is the one that should kind of ha should have the double portion. Reuben is the one that would be kind of the natural favorite, you know, or dad show more attention to. But it's not the case. Not the case at all. I think we go back and we look at whenever Jacob is looking for a wife. He meets Rachel, and Rachel, it's, I think we would probably say love at first sight, right? I mean, who, who doesn't like a girl out there watering, you know, her father's livestock and stuff, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of scenario that we've got there. So anyways... Uh, but no, I mean, when, when Jacob sets eyes on her, it's love at first sight. Jacob is willing to serve her father and work for her father for free, for nothing, for years, seven years, in order just to win her hand, to win her, Rachel's father's approval. Of course, if you're familiar with the scripture, you're familiar with the story, you know right? Them first seven years, that just flies by, right? Jacob's in love with Rachel, and he's working so that he can marry her, and it ain't nothing taking care of her daddy's sheep, you know. So, and he's planning the life they're going to have together, and the, the, all the children they're going to have, and, you know, I mean, he's just dreaming. And those seven years just fly by. Her daddy plays a little trick, She's got an older sister, Leah. I feel that it's only proper that the older daughter be married first. Problem is, is Jacob's not in love with Leah. Jacob don't want to marry Leah. Jacob wants to marry Leah's little sister, Rachel. So on the wedding night, what happens? 
Rachel Leah's daddy pulls a little trick and he switches the girls. How in the world Jacob didn't know, I don't know, but he didn't. Well, yeah, I hear people explain, well, it's dark and, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, he didn't know. He consummates the marriage. Okay, I'll say it that way. If you're old enough to understand what that word is, you're old enough to understand what we're talking about. He discovers in the morning it's not the one that he loves. He is not happy. <laughs> he married a woman that he didn't love and not a woman that he wanted to marry. So his father-in-law says, fulfill this time period with Leah. Give her her week or whatever it was. Then you can marry Rachel. You have both girls as wives. For all of you to have one wife, you can understand how well two is going to work out. There is a rivalry from then on between those two women. There comes a point, Leah is the one, Reuben is Leah's oldest son, right? Leah gives birth to Reuben. Leah has some children. And Rachel is unable to have children. All right, that is bothering Rachel a lot because that's a big deal, okay? The, the wife to be able to give children, right? I mean, you want to know where the Church of England comes from. It, it comes, well, anyways, I won't get into all that. It, it's been a big deal throughout a, a lot of time, right? And, and there's been a lot of wives over the years in the past that's been put away because they were barren. They were unable to have children. And so, I mean, Jacob is not going to put Rachel away. That's the one that he loved. That's the one they always wanted. But it's a disappointment that he's not able to have children with her. And here's Leah bearing all these children. So Rachel gets the idea, I will give him, right? They must have been spoiled brats and from a rich family, right? Silver spoons because both of these girls had handmaidens, right? They had helpers, servants, whatever. And so anyways, Rachel says, right? does the same stupid thing that Sarah did with Abraham. And Rachel says, here, take my handmaiden, Bilhah, or however you say her name. Have children with her on my behalf. Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? He says, sure. <laughs> they do, and so there's a couple kids that come along from that. In this time, Leah is unable to have children. She's had several children, and now she can't get pregnant again. And she is now seeing her sister, right? There's this crazy rivalry going on. And she sees her sister producing children. And so she says, i got to do something. I know what I'll do. I'll do the same thing that Rachel did. Here is my handmaiden. Uh, how do you say her name? Zilpha? Zilpha? Huh? Zilpha. Okay. Glad I'm not married to her. I can say Jennifer. <laughs> so she gives her to him. And Jacob says, I've already got three wives. Why not? What's one more? So he takes a fourth wife, or a concubine, lower class wife, has a couple children with her. He's got all these kids with women he don't even love. I didn't intend to go here, but that sounds a lot like the society that we live in today, doesn't it? Men having a lot of children with a bunch of different wives they don't even love. There might be a message in that. Anyways, that's the situation that Jacob is in. And then, all of a sudden, 
That's why he says in his old age, he's not really that old at that point, but in his old age, right, whenever he thought the days of him having children, right, has pretty well come to an end. Leah well, can't seem to get pregnant anymore, right? I've had who I'm going to have with these other two, you know, concubines. And then all of a sudden, Rachel shows up pregnant. It's like a miracle. It's like a gift from God. Finally, he has a son with the wife that he loved that he wanted to marry to begin with. Now, does that justify why Joseph is his favorite? No. Can we analyze all that? I don't know. Sure, we probably could. But that's the reason why Joseph is his favorite. Joseph is the oldest son of the only one that he really wanted to marry to begin with. The one that he was loved at first sight, the one that he fell in love with. That's why Joseph gets treated special. Now, Rachel goes on and has one more son. She has Benjamin later and she dies giving birth to Benjamin. But that, that's a little bit later on. Here we have, we see why Joseph is the oldest of his favorite wife, the only one he really wanted to marry. And that's why Joseph gets this special treatment. That's why the other boys are out. I mean, you know, we think of this shepherding thing, and, and we think, I don't think we think of a risky job. But the truth is, is there was some risk to it, right? I mean, David talks about having to kill lions and bears in order to protect his daddy's sheep. This is the same area, the same, the same land uh, previous, earlier, before, hundreds of years before David come along, all right? So there's the same kind of wildlife and, and wild animals, and there's going to be marauders, and there's going to be people, what, thieves, there's going to be all kinds of things, right? And so in the, in he, I mean, Jacob's got a lot of, of sheep and goats. He's got a lot of livestock, okay? And, and, and so big that they have to move to large patches of ground and move off quite a ways. And that is why Joseph is not being sent out to take care of the sheep, right, and the livestock. The other sons are the ones that are being put out there. The other sons are the ones that are considered expendable. And Joseph is only set out to represent his father to check on. There's so much here. We, 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 we look at this and we see Joseph has went out and really probably what he was doing was going out and checking on what them boys was up to because Jacob knew what kind of boys that they were and the kind of nonsense that they might be up to. So Joseph is sent to, uh, to check on them and Joseph brings back the evil report which they think that Joseph should have covered for them and they hate him all the more and he's daddy's favorite and daddy's giving him his coat. Now he's having these stupid dreams, right? And you're saying that we're going to bow down to you one day. Who do you think you are? You're just a little soft-handed pretty boy. They don't like him. They want to kill him. See what will come of his dreams then. So one day, as I've read to you in the scripture already, they're out in Dothan. Right? Man, we see all of this. His dreams are prophecies. 
that are fulfilled in chapter 44. They do all bow down to him, right? He does end up leading. He ends up being a savior. Joseph is a type of Christ, if you haven't got that or figured that out. That's why we see no sins of Joseph, not that he was perfect. That's why we don't see any of those here. And so anyways... Joseph is sent out another time, the, time, the last time that we read about here in the scripture, to check on, his, uh, check on his brothers who are taking care of his father's livestock. He goes to where they were last at, supposed to be at, and they're not there. He's looking for them. He can't find them. And somebody sees him says, what are you doing? You know, you're wandering around out here like you're lost. And he tells them, well, I'm looking for my brothers who are with my father's flock. Said, oh, okay, yeah. They went on. I heard them say they're going on towards Dothan. So that's where he goes. Now he's wearing that fancy coat, as I've already said. His brothers, they hate him. They've had enough of him, this dreamer. And they see him coming from a long ways off, and they say, this is our chance. Right? They're probably farther from the house than they've, maybe they've ever took the flock before. Right? Maybe it's a tough year that year or whatever. And they see this dreamer coming from a long ways off, far enough away that they've got time to plot and they plan. And we're going to kill this guy and we're going to get rid of the body and we're going to be done with this boy. And things are going to be back like they ought to be. Reuben who is already, and I'm not even going to get into all of it, but he's already out of sorts with his dad. He slept with one of his dad's wives, so that obviously, you know, caused problems between him and dad. Reuben decides that he is going to try to kind of play the middle here, right? He's going to save Joseph alive and deliver him back to the dad in order to gain some of the favor thinking that that might kind of mend the relationship and fix things. It doesn't work out like he wanted to, right? So they decide they're going to throw him in this pit. It doesn't bother them. They throw him in this pit, and then they immediately sit down and let's eat, you know. It doesn't bother them at all. And they're plotting out his death, right? Reuben has went on. Maybe he's with the herd. Maybe he had to go to town for supplies or whatever. He steps away at the wrong time, and <coughs> they see these wandering merchants, these Ishmaelites, right? And they say, better yet, we don't have to have his blood on our hands. We will sell him to them and be done with him and be rid of him and they'll carry him off as a slave to some foreign land and they'll probably kill him or never hear of him again or whatever. So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. That's not even the price of a slave. The price of a slave is 30 pieces of silver, right? They're willing to take a bargain. They just want rid of him. So they do that. Reuben comes back. I read to you the last chapter there. He's beside himself. He tears his clothes. He's upset. And they think, okay, we've got to convince our father that he's dead. So they take the fancy boy's coat that they've already took off of him earlier before they threw him in the pit. They kill one of the kids of the goats, right? That's one of the young goats. And they smear its blood on him. And it's so... Ain't no Bibles down here, is there? I'll go back up here to mine. It's so interesting how they say this. At the end of verse or chapter 37, verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. That's the part I just explained to you. And they sent the coat of many colors 
and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know not whether it be thy son's coat or not. They didn't run to their dad and say, Oh, look, Dad, we found Joseph's coat. He must have got killed. Something must have bad happened to him. No, they just come back. To, they're very deceitful here. They come down and they bring his coat. And they say, look, we, we found this coat. It looks kind of like Joseph's coat, but it, it can't be Joseph, can it? Right? Joseph's supposed to be at home. He's, Dad babies him, takes care of him, right? I mean, he shouldn't ever be in danger or anything like that. Surely it looks like Joseph's coat. We've never seen a coat like this before. It's kind of a suggestion. And Jacob sees it and he loses it. He freaks out. He loses it. He, he knew it just as soon as he saw it. He knew it was Joseph's coat. And he sees, I mean, this is solid evidence. Tangible. Hold it in his hand. Right? Still got the smell of Joseph on it, but it's covered in blood. Something awful has happened to Joseph, and he is dead. Wild beasts must have just tore him in two. Right? Remember, the other sons were expendable. He knew that that was a risk and that was a danger, and he put them out there because they were expendable, but Joseph was not. I heard a preacher preach one time, and this thought here I'm going to close with is not mine. Someone else's, but it comes from God. Here's the deal. They got this news. Jacob got this news. Jacob looked at the evidence, assumed the worst, and his world was over. He was inconsolable. He was going to mourn plumb till his <coughs> grave, right? There wasn't going to be no fixing it or anything like that. But here's the reality of the situation. It was just a bloody All them things that he assumed wasn't right and wasn't true. All it was was just a bloody coat. Do, do you see what the devil done in that situation, right? That's who's working behind all of this, right? Do you not think, do you think that he only used that trick one time and then he said, man, that was good and it worked good then, but I'll never use it again? Listen to me. He's done it to you too, or he may be doing it to you right now. Look, he'll take you, the, he'll bring to you the bloody coat, right? What is that bloody coat? Maybe that's uh, something the doctor has told you. Maybe that's something going on with your finances. Maybe that's something going on with your children or your family or whatever the case may be. Whatever it is, listen to me. It's just a bloody coat. It's just a bloody coat. I don't care what the evidence say, right? Right, God, we're, when we get into that situation, right, God's not even factored into it. We're not even thinking about God, right? We're not even thinking about He's the great physician, all true healing comes from Him. We're not even thinking about if we're saved and, and, and things are right with us. Really, it doesn't matter what happens to this old body. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Because when I leave here, hallelujah, hey, I'm not going into some pit. I'm going to be with Jesus, right? I'm going to be in His presence forever. 
And we can debate what that looks like and all those things, but hallelujah. Glory to God, I know that I've got a, he- a home in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm on my way there. Hallelujah. Hey, I don't want to die today, but if I do, glory to God, I know what it's going to look like. Hey, the next thing I see when I open my eyes is going to be my Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Hey, that's something you can shout about. That's something you get excited about. I don't care where you're at. Hey, we wonder how people that are have these terrible diagnoses and all these things, right? And the world seems to be coming down on them, but yet they still got joy. You know why? Because they recognize it's just a bloody coat. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So that's my message to you this morning. I didn't even get to where I was going and not even, maybe I'll get there tonight. I want to tell you this morning, whatever it might be, you got God on your side. If you're one of His, if you're part of the redeemed, right? Maybe we need to talk about that for just a second. If you're saved, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, if you truly believe, right, and you put your trust and your hope in Him and in Him alone, you're a child of God. And when you're a child of God, listen to me. Whatever it is the world brings to you and presents to you and wants you to think the worst and feel the worst and think life is over and this is it. Remember, it's just a bloody coat. It's just a bloody coat. You know, if we were to go over, man, close to ten chapters, eight chapters later, Jacob sees, right? He's reunited with his son in Egypt and he sees... What them boys brought to him years ago, it was just a bloody coat. It was just a bloody coat. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an invitation to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Maybe you've got a heavy burden this morning. If you do, I want you to know this morning, it's just a bloody coat. Would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. There's no guarantee that you'll get another opportunity. Would you come this morning? If the Spirit of God is pulling on your heart, right? If you're burdened with somebody or something, whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Here's your chance. It may be your last chance. Would you come this morning? Whatever it is, would you come this morning? Would you come?